from Liverpool, England. The significance is that the Beatles have held this title for eight years. My model of business is the Beatles. You know, they were four very talented guys. Hello, I'm Jack, and you're listening to the Here, There, and Everywhere podcast, an interview show about the Beatles' influence in the past, present, and future across the universe and across generations. It's been 58 years since the Beatles were greeted by over 3,000 screaming fans upon their arrival in America. On their first TV appearance in the United States, a record-shattering 73 million people tuned in to watch them perform on The Ed Sullivan Show. In the few months after that performance in 1964, the Beatles placed 28 records in the Billboard Hot 100 singles chart, and 11 of those made it to the top 10. Almost 20 years after, in 1981, the Beatles set another record for having the most albums in the U.S. charts simultaneously. They had seven albums appear in the top 200 albums chart. And just 22 years ago, in the year 2000, the Beatles' album One became the best-selling album of the 2000s decade. And today, 30% of the Beatles' listeners on Spotify were born between the years 1996 and 2004. What makes the Beatles timeless? What makes them new for every generation? In an effort to explore this, I'm going to introduce today's guest. Today we're welcoming Robbie Fox onto the show. Robbie's 23 years old, and he's a blogger at Barstool Sports. He's the host of the podcast My Mom's Basement, and he's the bass player in the band Pop Punk. He's a great guy, so down to earth, and he loves the Beatles with a passion. So let's get right into it. Hey Robbie, thanks for coming on the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. I'm always down to talk about the Beatles, so I'm excited to do this. Well, I'm excited to have you on, man. So for those who don't know, uh, Robbie writes blogs about pretty much everything over at Barstool, from MMA events to music and the Beatles. Exactly. Like MMA is sort of the main thing that I'm expected to cover when there's UFC events or anything like that. Like, yes, I'm on that beat, but Barstool allows us the freedom to cover whatever we want. So when I'm you know, when I watch a crazy video and I'm like, oh my God, I've never seen that before. It doesn't matter what it's about. I could throw up a blog on the website about it and talk about it. So music is one of the things I love the most and wind up talking about the most on Barstool. So Robbie, let's start from the beginning. Let's give our listeners uh, some background about you. Can you tell us how you grew up? I grew up in Little Ferry, New Jersey. It's a very tiny, like one square mile town, like 14 miles, I think from New York City. So it's pretty close. It's, you know, near Hackensack in Bergen County, New Jersey. And yeah, it was a small town, didn't even have a high school, Went had to go to high school in a different town. But uh, shortly after high school, got hired by Barstool. It was my first semester of community college and dropped out pretty quickly and kind of just took things from there. And that was like five years ago now. So you, you must have been sending out applications while you were still in high school, right? I had been, yeah, I had been applying since I was like 13 years old, literally just like incessantly emailing everyone at this company because I was a fan. I just thought like I, I saw the freedom that everyone is allowed to have and how they were kind of like their job is to just talk about the stuff that they love. And I thought that looked awesome. Um, nobody covered MMA for this site at the time. And that is one of my loves. So I saw that as like a little hole to fill. And yeah, I got hired as an intern. Luckily, just time kind of hit perfectly where I graduated from high school at the exact time that they moved the company to New York. Where was Barstool before that? 
it wasn't even they, they had like a tiny headquarters in Boston, but mostly everyone was still like blogging from their apartments. The company hadn't been like acquired by churning yet. So it's still like a smaller blog. You know, obviously it had some like it had a reputation, but it wasn't what it is today. And what year did you start applying for barstool positions? Geez, that that had to be uh, I think it was like 2014, 2013. Or it was, no, it was even earlier. It was um, I think it was 2011, the first email I ever sent, which is crazy because like the site was pretty small at that point. But I had older cousins who were in college at the time, and that was like their audience, you know, like the the college age students. So they introduced it to me really young, and I just started sending like T-shirt designs, sample blogs, uh, sample podcasts, anything that I could do that I felt like fit something within Barstool. So yeah, and I, I think it was I was eighteen when I when I first uh, heard back, and or I, I heard back when I was like fourteen, and they were like, "Dude, we can't hire a fourteen-year-old." But I was like, "All right, that was my in. I heard back that you know, so so you're saying there's a chance." And then when I was eighteen, I got hired as an intern, and then like. I got hired as an intern in October of 2016, and by February of that next year, I was hired full-time. That's awesome. Congratulations on the persistence, man. I love it. Thank you. So again, I'm just going to say it again for those who don't know. Uh, Robbie, how old are you? You're, you're 23 right now? Yep, 23. You're a young Beatles fan. How old were you when you started listening to the Beatles music, and how did you come to hear them? I got into the Beatles super young. My family is like a pretty musical family. My uncle it was it was in a band growing up and my brother's a drummer. So always rock and roll was just like a part of my life. And we had the blue Beatles greatest hits album. You know, they had the blue one and the red one, the blue one being the later years, the red one being the earlier years. And whenever we were on a road trip, that was like the thing that I always wanted to listen to. It was just like I didn't like any of the other CDs that were in the car. It was just like the safe pick. Like I'm definitely going to like all this stuff. So for years, that was like my Beatles exposure. Um, eventually when they got like the music rights to go on iTunes, that was even a bigger, like, you know, eye opening experience for me where I went through the entire discography and I eventually started playing bass. Paul McCartney, obviously being someone who I want to, learn from so i started trying to learn all the beatles songs started getting the song books started going on uh reading interviews watching the documentaries like really going in the deep dive i would say when i was in eighth grade to like high school that that area and now i'm, I'm a complete fanatic i mean the beatles are part of like my everyday life i feel like with just if you look at my spotify like most listen to it's always they're always in the top three constantly got the, their solo albums on i have all the vinyls i have you know like you mentioned the, the get back movie the re-releases like i'm on top of all that stuff so my next tattoo will also be a beatles one that i'm planning right now so I'll, I'll have that soon i'm gonna get on the back of my arm like a photo booth strip like when you go to the mall and you get like you know take a picture in the little strip and in each uh, panel, I'm going to have a different Beatle in their Sergeant Pepper's getup. So I'm excited to get that. I don't have anything Beatles yet, and I'm excited to add something on here. Are you going to design that yourself? Uh, no, I know. I'm not that great an artist, but I have someone that I know through Barstool. They kind of do like cartoons and stuff for Barstool that's going to do it for me. I see you also have a peace and love tattoo. I do, yeah. Yeah, that's in my uh, that's in my mother and grandmother's handwriting. So I, I I do have a little like that's Beatles vibes, you know. Yeah, totally. I mean, that's that's Ringo's big slogan. He always says peace and love. So, uh, Robbie, what inspired you to take the deep dive into the Beatles' music around like eighth grade? You said 
it, it, it was big YouTube. Yep. It was uh, when I, like when the music first went on iTunes, that was huge for me. Like I said, like I didn't have the, I didn't have all the CDs, so I didn't have the access to it at the time before then. And I went to a Beatles exhibit. There was like an exhibit in the city and I, I forget what year it was, but it was very small. And it, it was, it was just, they had a few pieces of memorabilia, you know, handwrite, handwritten lyrics from John or, or a, a, the Mellotron that he used this now in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, I think they had, and they would play little, uh, you know, projections on the wall of their concerts. And that like completely, you know, captured my imagination. And that was a big step for me being like, oh, I want to learn more about this band. I wound up going and seeing Love the first time I went to Las Vegas. I have some family that live out there. So the first time I was there, I was like, that's the only thing I'm interested in is like, let's just go do love. And I was pretty young at that point. I want to say it was 2008 when I saw love. So I was only 10 years old and I, I was just like completely imagination captured. So the show in Las Vegas had an influence on you? Yeah, big time. Did the Beatles have any influence on you applying to Barstool or even trying to get to where you are now? Because I know at one point in your life, you wanted to be a rock star. And yeah. So tell me how you, you switched career paths there. Well, you know what? I feel like I had like a bunch of like, I was one of those kids that like would get so into something and then I'd be like, I want to be that. So like, I wanted to be a rock star. I wanted to like maybe direct movies. That was a big like passion mine for years. I'm a big Star Wars fan and stuff. So you would watch like the behind the scenes videos on that. And they would be as entertaining as the movies themselves to me, like the choreography behind the lightsaber fights or whatever. So I thought that was a dream. I wanted to be a professional wrestler. I trained to in professional wrestling school for a bit. Like I had a bunch of random passions and Barstool was kind of the perfect place for me to like put them all in one like melting pot where I felt like, oh, I could do this. I could go like we now have a band at Barstool where I could, you know, dress up as a rock star and basically have these fake shows. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's like and we've done Beatles covers and, and Pup Punk. We've done Come Together. We've done Get Back. We've done Help. We did like the version of help from yesterday, the movie, which is a little more like punk rock. It's, it's a cool version. So like doing stuff like that, Barstool was kind of the place where when I, when it got on my radar, I was like, Oh, I can like, if I work here, I can kind of pursue a bunch of different things and talk about why I love all these different things. So I don't know if the Beatles necessarily influenced that, but they influenced me way more today. Like, listening to their lyrics, watching. I watch uh, the George Harrison Scorsese documentary all the time. It's on HBO Max in the two parts. And it's just like, that. that's like, it could be my Bible at this point. I, like that has made me, yes, that's made me like a George guy. My whole life I felt like I was like, am I a Paul guy or am I a John guy? Am I Paul or am I John? And then I watched that like a couple years ago and I was like, Oh no, I'm definitely a George Harrison guy. Like that's my beetle right there. The quiet one, the way he looked at life. So like that influences me way more today than it did then. So do you take the George Harrison approach to your everyday life? Like the spirituality and the uh, detachment from society? Sort of. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I'm, I'm not yet like in the spiritual realm. I don't do the Hare Krishna. I don't do the chants and stuff. But just more the live in the now, the more love one another, you know, just very peace and love, not there for the drama. I love that about George. When you watch the video of uh, John recording How You Sleep, 
which is obviously like such a it's like the first diss track or something to fall or whatever yeah yeah like the world's first diss track yeah and when you watch the video of that like you could see it on george's face like he doesn't want to be there he's doing it because john basically tricked him into recording it with him but he's just like god damn why are we fighting like this isn't right and I love that. Yeah, George was, he was over the fame. He was over the exploitation of Beatlemania from like an early age. He didn't want to be a Beatle, you know? Yeah. He wanted to be a human. And and anyone who tells me they relate to George, I automatically like. Because <laughs> one, they know enough about George to know who he was yeah. and to be able to relate to him. And two, well, because he was just super likable. And yeah, just his kindness, like that's something that like I aspire to the way that everyone talks about Georgia nowadays. There's that story in, in the documentary that Ringo tells about like the last time that he saw George and he was in bad shape he, with his cancer and everything. And Ringo's daughter was also in bad shape at the time. And Ringo said, oh, you know, I'm going to go off to Boston to see her. And George was like, do you want me to come with you? And George is basically on his deathbed. But he's that kind that he's like, I'll fly across the country or the world with you right now if you want. And like, that's something that you look at and you go, man, I hope one day, a hundred years from now when I'm gone, like people look back and tell stories about me being a kind person. So that's like what influences me. I'm like, yeah, George is like someone we could all aspire to be. When you started listening to the Beatles, you were pretty young. What did kids your age have to say about that? <laughs> it was the yeah it was definitely a weird thing it still is like you said we're 23 24 and you say like oh i'm a huge beatles fan people are like oh yeah sure you are drake has more bops than the beatles he's got the abbey road tattoo and you're like no stop it um but yeah it was like it was always kind of the weird thing they're like what are you talking about yellow submarine i remember that being such a thing when you're like kids people are just like what yellow submarine and you're like <laughs> I guess that's one of their songs. Yeah, but like, exactly. Yeah, so I remember hearing that a ton. It's it's way more, like you said now, like the resurgence in the last few years, it's way more easy to be a Beatles fan. There's accounts like Beatles Earth on Twitter where it's like, it's just kind of a place where we could all like talk about the Beatles, retweet awesome clips. Like the, the social media aspect of it is huge. It's awesome. Did you did you ever feel like an outcast because of your music taste compared to kids your age or did you ever encounter anyone making fun of the fact that you listen to the Beatles? You know, it was it was like less with the Beatles and more with the other bands I listened to. I vividly remember being in seventh grade and, and being made fun of for listening to Green Day because it was that screamo shit like kids were saying like, oh, why do you listen to that screamo Green Day? And I was like, what are you talking about? Like. Like, I, listen, nothing against Screamo. I'll go listen to Screamo. But Green Day is not Screamo. They're like pop punk, alternative rock. Like, there's n even no even moments. Like, I'll go listen to a Slipknot record right now, right in your face. But that's not what I'm listening to here. Yeah, like, so I remember getting so frustrated with kids calling Green Day Screamo and then, like, getting to high school with them and seeing them walk in in, like, a vintage, washed American Idiot shirt. And just right. Like, no! <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that funny? I know you're a fan of Star Wars. Oh, yeah. And similar to how the Beatles are coming back into popularity with the Get Back documentary on Disney+, Plus, Star Wars also had that resurgence a couple years ago with the new trilogy. Like everything coming back, yeah. And one thing I noticed is that the people who were making fun of Star Wars fans a long time ago all of a sudden became fans. So what causes that conversion into being a fan? Better late than never, them coming around on this stuff. I think it was just like 
I have an older brother and an older sister. My older brother's 12 years older than me, and my older sister's nine years older than me. So growing up, it was very much like, and, and I loved that dynamic growing up because it was like I had a second set of parents that were like, cool. Like I never fought with my brother or sister growing up. We were always cool because the age gap was just like, what, they're going to fight with like a little kid? Like we got along so well and still do to this day. They're like my best friends. So I got introduced to everything through them. So like the Star Wars stuff, the Beatles stuff, that's all like through my brother and me basically being a little kid and him being like, I'm going to mold this little, my little brother's brain to be exactly like me so he could be friends growing up. And that was like how it all started and how it all like continued still to this day. My uncle that I told you about, who was in a band growing up, me, my uncle and my brother are in a group chat. And we, every day we just send each other clips, usually Beatles related, Zeppelin related, like old school rock and roll. So it all comes from like the family basically. And it's the best feeling when someone comes up to you nowadays and they're like, someone did this to me that I work with recently. And they're like, can you put together like a Spotify playlist of Beatles songs you think I might like? Like I'm maybe starting to think and I'm like, oh, my God, yes, say no more. Uh, Like running to my computer, like ready to do it. And it's like and the Beatles are so great because and this is one of the things that irks me the most. I'm glad like we're doing this because I get to say this. I haven't said this on a podcast before when people say, oh, I don't like the Beatles. I'm like, it blows my mind because I'm like, okay, no, 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 that's not true. You just haven't listened to them enough. Like there is so much variety in the Beatles and you could even expand it to their solo works. You could say Paul with wings, George's solo stuff, even the Ringo solo stuff, John's, you could say like, you don't like certain Beatles songs or you don't like the early Beatles stuff. I could hear someone saying that you saying you don't like the Beatles. is like saying you don't like music. Like, what are you talking about? There's so much variety. There's got to be a Beatles song you like. There has to be. So I like going in and like trying to find those songs with people. Oh, dude, I've recommended so many Beatles songs to my friends. I'm like a Beatles missionary. And the cool thing is, is that you're right. The Beatles are so diverse. There's a song for everybody. Yeah. The other night, I actually had my friend over, and I was playing the Beatles on Shuffle, and the first couple songs that came on were very classic Beatlemania songs. You know, She Loves You, Hard Day's Night, Can't Buy Me Love. And I could tell it wasn't really clicking with my friend. And then Happiness is a Warm Gun came on. And, you know, it's a heavier song, and I could see his ears perk up, and he started to get a little interested. And he was surprised when I told him we were still listening to the Beatles. They're so diverse and they're everlasting. You know, a couple of bands from the 60s sound like they're from the 60s. Yeah. Take Cream, for example. You know, they have they have good songs. Yeah. Eric Clapton is a, a little controversial. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Eric Clapton's making it making it hard to love Eric Clapton nowadays. <laughs> but but there, there are not a lot of Cream songs I can listen to and think, okay, this will fit in on contemporary radio today. But with the Beatles... I feel like they still sound so contemporary. Yeah. So what is it about them that makes them infinite? That's a that's a friggin' great question that I'm not sure I have the answer to, but I think there's there's definitely an aspect of the the mania surrounding both, like the Star Wars mania in the late seventies, early eighties, and Beatlemania obviously, are part of the attraction to both, I think. Like the fandoms actually add to it. Like Beatles fans love the intricacies of what went into everything. Just like Star Wars fans, like I mentioned, love the behind the scenes stuff. We love the fights. We, I mean, the Get Back documentary on 
Disney Plus the perfect example. Like I'm looking forward to that as much as I'm looking forward to the next Star Wars or Spider-Man coming next month because it's like, oh my God, this footage that's been in a vault for 50 years or whatever is finally going to be unearthed. It's crazy to imagine that. So I think that is an aspect. But as far as the music itself, it's like they were the perfect four guys for it, the perfect mesh. What they were doing was magic it's like i'm a huge oasis fan oasis one of my favorite bands of all time and there's that period of oasis between definitely maybe and what's the story morning glory where everything they were touching was magic like noel gallagher could not write a song that was not amazing some of the best oasis songs are b-sides from that era like the master plan or like songs like this that they would wind up like opening shows with closing big gigs with or b-sides because of that and it's like the beatles had that struck by lightning but for like a decade like their entire existence was basically that amazing period i don't know what it was but like you said they sound contemporary like to this day you could put on beatles albums whether it be the remasters or not whether it be the originals and you're like man this this sounds amazing some of the sounds that you hear on sergeant peppers you're like man the stuff that we praise like phineas for doing on billy eilish's stuff production wise like the beatles were doing 50 years ago it's crazy yeah yeah they were doing all of the same stuff 50 years ago (laughs) and on top of that they were only around for seven years seven not even 10 and then they ceased to exist yet here they are still let it be was just re-released and it went to number one in the charts (laughs) again yeah 2021 and it entered number one again and i'm pretty sure abbey road the Abbey Road re-release did the exact same thing a yeah. couple years ago. Yeah. It's just incredible. Like their success never stops. I think Paul. I think Paul's a great PR man and always has been. You know, promoting these recent events. I was gonna say they've done a great job with stuff like that too. Like the re-releases, the way Paul promotes it, the way Ringo gets out and promotes it at this point. Like they they really do a good job of keeping the fandom alive. Like I have the anthology. Boom! Here it is. What a, what a better thing to keep the you know entire legacy alive in the 90s than the Beatles anthology. I think it's like the greatest you know music documentary you could ask for, the most comprehensive. And you know, you've got the shots of Paul driving the boat, which is just hysterical. You're like, why are you doing this interview driving a boat? <laughs> right. why, why was he on the boat? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but like, that's great. And the, the, the songs that they re-recorded for that, Free as Bird and stuff, where it's like, you have the songs that John wrote that they finished. Like, what better thing to promote the anthology than new Beatles songs in the nineties. Like, so that stuff, like Paul being a good PR man, that's definitely part of the reason why they are still as big as they are today. You know, it's funny you mentioned free as a bird. Uh, that song was actually controversial among fans in the nineties. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah. Even Prince was quoted saying that it was demonic. They thought they were like exploiting the, the vocals. Yeah, it, exactly. And, and some Beatles fans didn't like it because they felt like it wasn't, the Beatles because John wasn't with them. Yeah. So I'm wondering what side of that debate do you fall on? See, I love it. Like I love the the lyric changes that Paul threw in there that are like literally tributes to John and stuff. Like I think it's a beautiful symbol and it wouldn't have been right maybe if Paul took that and put it out as like a Paul McCartney song. But the fact that it's put out as the Beatles and it's all of them on that recording I think kind of does make it right. And maybe I'm not the right person to say that. It's up to Yoko. But Yoko was also the one who gave the box to Paul and was like, yeah, go for it. So I think they talked to Yoko about it. I think they talked to Sean about it. it 
those were the right people to do it. That's the circumstances, the people in the room. I felt like they did it with as much respect as you possibly could have asked for. You mentioned Yoko. Uh, what's your opinion on Yoko? I mean, you read everything nowadays. You watch the George documentary. You watch the Beatles anthology. And in my opinion, it seems pretty clear that Yoko was not the uh, the sole cause of the Beatles breakup. I think it was probably a little strange that John brought her around all the time and probably the wrong move considering bringing her to the studio caused a bit of a rift, but it was the death of their manager, Brian Epstein. It was the death of um, another friend that they mentioned, I feel like, or someone that worked for the band. It was the heroin addiction that was starting to get into the band. It was the rift between Paul and John. There were so many other factors, and it's a shame. You look at Yoko and like, her legacy for decades was just like she ruined the Beatles. Still, people say like the Yoko Ono of blank, the Yoko Ono of blank. And she's kind of used as like a verb or, you know, they, they replace words with her name. And it's a shame. Like I, I walk into Central Park all the time and, and, Stra- and Strawberry Fields, the Imagine uh, mosaic there. And you see the Beatles buskers and people doing covers. And I love that. It's one of my favorite things to do in the city. I always think, I hope I see Yoko walking through here one day, just like, I wouldn't even say anything. I just like wave and smile, but like, she definitely doesn't deserve everything she's gotten in my opinion. Oh, I I totally agree with you. I think they were grown men. Yep. They made their own choices. It's not right to blame Yoko for everything that happened, especially when she made John happy. And, and keep a lookout in Central Park because you never know. One day I was showing some of my friends around the city. It was their first time there, and I wanted to take them to Strawberry Field, so we went in Central Park. Yeah. And we accidentally passed the Imagine Circle, but we ran into Sean Lennon and Yoko Ono oh, in Central on, Park. Oh, come on, that's crazy. And I was in complete shock. <laughs> and But they were both super, super nice and the nicest people you could ever imagine, and it was great. <laughs> so keep trying. That that's royalty right there. Yeah, that's like, oh my god, I'd be more starstruck by them by like than anyone else. Basically, people say that all the time. Like with Barstool, like people like famous people come into the office all the time, so they're like, who would like still make you starstruck? I'm like, if I saw Paul or Ringo, I think my soul would leave my body, and I would just like, you, you know, it would be some kind of experience like I've never had before. Like how people describe ayahuasca, or like <laughs> how Joe Rogan describes his crazy, you know, jungle drugs. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I hope you get to meet him one day. Have you ever seen him in concert? Seeing them is still like on my bunk list. I've never seen Paul in concert. I've never seen Ringo in concert. And I'm like, I need them to announce a show. I'll go anywhere in the world at this point. Post-pandemic, it's like, you know, YOLO. We only got one shot at this. I got to see them. Yeah, or, or just start hanging around Central Park every day. <laughs> yeah, I'll just I'll just have uh, like a sign around Central Park. Beatles, any, anyone? <laughs> <laughs> Slowly turn into that lady from Home Alone 2 that lives in Central Park. Yep, the yeah, bird lady, yeah. <laughs> I know that you've been pretty open about having anxiety and panic attacks. Oh yeah, big time. Have the Beatles helped you cope with that at all? A thousand percent, like 10,000 percent. One of the main things for like, I have bad panic attacks still to this day, not super often, every couple months maybe, but you know, it feels like everything's closing in on you. The world is ending and it's just a crazy sensation. It's a very physical feeling in your body. Sometimes you throw up and for me, panic attacks are brutal. And one of the things is you do deep breathing. I like to put on soft music and just kind of like to calm myself down from the panic attacks. One of the main things 
that I say to myself during a panic attack is nothing's going to change my world. Across the Universe is like such a great song. I swear to God, this is a thousand percent true. I was in Abu Dhabi for UFC fights at the beginning of this year, January. I had never been out of the country before in my life. I'm in Abu Dhabi now alone under COVID lockdowns where I'm like locked in this room. We had barely any Wi-Fi. The TV had eight channels, none of which were in English. So I just started freaking out. Something in my body said like, this is a situation we're not used to. Couldn't get in contact with like my friends and family because the Wi-Fi was so bad. So I just felt alone. And I swear to you, I just went in the shower. I put on Beatles playlist. And as soon as Across the Universe came on, something hit me where I was like, nothing's going to change my world. Nothing's ending here. Everything's going to be all right. And now whenever something comes over me where I feel anxiety, I feel anxious, I just say that to myself, nothing's going to change my world. We're good. So literally, yes, the Beatles do help my anxiety to this day. That's something I might get tattooed on me one day. I've thought about that. I'm extremely happy you have the Beatles as a way to cope with anxiety and panic attacks because it's not easy dealing with that. And it's tough. Yeah, it feels like it's such an overwhelming sensation. I'm I'm happy for you. I I really I truly am. Thanks, man. And um, I was wondering, is there any specific subject that gives you anxiety or panic attacks? You know, not not necessarily. I mean, certain times things will come up. Initially, when we first started doing like the pop punk shows, like that was a very anxiety inducing thing for me. Getting on stage and playing in front of people, I was like, this is not something that I thought I could do. Now that's easy peasy. Like it's become a, a thing that I'm so used to, and I don't even really get jitters before the shows anymore. I just get really excited. So like certain things when they come up when new unexpected things come up that would give me anxiety for years it was just like doing anything doing interviews doing podcasts that that i i like couldn't do it for a bit um but i'm I'm on anxiety medication now i take my lexapro and i'm all good there's another similarity between you and the beatles paul used to get really bad stage fright along with ringo I've also read that John used to throw up before some of the shows because of how bad his stage fright was. Wow. That's crazy, you know? And it's crazy, but at the same time, it's not. You know, you could understand it when they had the the reputation that they had for being the best, being the best in the world. He knows every concert is going to be someone's first Beatles show. They expect the best. They expect, you know, perfection, nothing less. It's got to be that. The pressure's got to weigh on you at that point. Robbie, do you wear those glasses while you're playing on stage? I do, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I think that John would not wear his glasses on stage. And he didn't wear them. I know, and it was so blurry. I remember reading that story and being like, God, I, I could not do that. I am not good enough at playing the bass to like know where I'm looking without my glasses. I am blind as a bat without them. Yeah, I mean, I think John did that because he didn't want to get the stage fright by looking at everyone in the crowd. Oh, really? That, see, that's a decent idea. But yeah, I would just, I wouldn't be able to play. So that would be my <laughs> dilemma. <laughs> I remember before our first show ever, our first show was at Irving Plaza, which if you're like a New York person, you probably know is like a venue. I went up seeing my favorite bands there growing up and pop punk bands and stuff. So that was like, oh my God. And we sold it out. So I knew it was going to be like a big crowd there. So I was like, this is our first show. I've never played more than five songs at a time with my middle school band. Like... So this, this was just crazy. And I remember my brother saying to me, maybe just don't face the crowd. He's like, maybe you could go out and you just face your amp on stage and that'll be your thing. You're like the bass player that doesn't face the crowd. And of course, I did not follow that advice because that would look ridiculous. But that was like the mindset I was going through before. And it's kind of like the John thing. Like, don't even look at the crowd. Now, 
did you decide to pick up the bass because of Paul McCartney? It wasn't necessarily because of Paul. I picked up the bass because of the more theatric bass players like Gene Simmons and Nikki Six and Duff McKagan. Like the almost like the hair metal era of bass players got me into it because that's what my my brother's favorite band ever is Motley Crue. And he's a drummer and he was very much like a Tommy Lee style drummer. He actually got credited on like some of Tommy's albums for like throwing some stuff in there and stuff. So it was all like, I want to be Nikki. He wants to be Tommy so we could be Motley Crue up here. But then obviously you start to learn a thing or two about the bass and you're like, okay, half of what Nikki's playing, it comes from his Paul influence. So I should go back and learn some of the Beatles stuff. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you can name any musician and they all trace their roots back to the Beatles and what Paul McCartney did with his bass lines. All of them. It's, it's- crazy how much you could trace it back and i mean to the level where motley does you know they have a helter skelter cover on shout at the devil and they have on a song called slice of my pie literally they just rip off i want you she's so heavy and they finish that song with like the exact same riff it's on dr feelgood it's worth a listen because it's cool it sounds like demonic in a motley crew song you know it sounds really cool so like everything it's crazy how much you could trace everything back to the beatles guns and roses is another one like axel has so much paul influence in the way he sings and writes melodies yeah guns and roses paid tribute with their cover of live and let die live and let die yeah classic and then green day paid their tribute with uh their cover of working class hero that was big when that came out i remember watching them perform that on american idol I like have a vivid memory of like, like them doing that on American Idol. And of course they couldn't say the one F bomb because they were on American Idol. I remember thinking like, they ruined it. This isn't punk anymore. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I love those punk moments in, in rock history. Yeah. Like oh, on yeah. Ed Sullivan when when the doors were singing Light My Fire and Ed Sullivan told him not to sing the, the lyric, Girl we couldn't get much higher. And uh, they sang it anyway. And Jim Morrison looked right in the camera when he sang it. Oh, I didn't even know that story. Like that, that was the fir- one of the first punk rock moments. Do you describe yourself as punk rock? Is that your personality? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I get. I, I love punk rock. I, would, I don't know if I'd describe myself as punk because I'm a, I don't know, I'm a bit of a wimp. I feel like I'm not like, I don't embody the punk rock spirit of like Nikki Six diving into the crowd with his bass to like beat up someone. Like that ain't me. But like, you know what? I have, we, we played a show at House of Blues Boston and I tried to fight someone in the crowd. So yeah, sure. I'm going to describe myself as punk. <laughs> <laughs> so pop punk, for everyone who's listening who doesn't know you guys, tell us when you started. We started, I think it was uh, the summer of 2017 and it was just an idea to be like a, a comedy music video. Like we were, almost had the idea... I'm such a huge fan of that era of music, the Blink-182, All-Time Low, Green Day, like just all of those pop punk bands I'm really into. And I was sitting across from a guy I work with, Roan, who is now the front man of pop punk, and he is a battle rap champ. Like the legit, if you look up Roan battle rap, you'll be like, oh my God, this is eight mile in real life and he is frying people. So he's a world champion battle rapper listening to me listen to pop punk and he was like, we should make one of those music videos where we're like stuck at our locker and we're really angsty about our parents. How funny would that be? And I said, that would be hysterical. And afterwards we'll film a VH one behind the music about how we broke up after one song. And that'll be like the big bit. And we, I play the bass. He's like, I'll sing. I'll do that pop punk Tom DeLong voice. We have a guy PFT commenter who plays the guitar and he's tremendously talented at it and we had a drummer in the company so we were like all right let's do it we record the one song it's called back to school the music videos on youtube and then we were going to record the behind the music 
people were like, when's the next song drop? They kept saying like, when's the next song coming out? And you're like, all right, maybe it would be foolish to just like throw this in the garbage can. Let's record another song. And we just kept recording songs. We have like, we don't even have that many now. We have like five or six, but our shows will play like four originals and then like 16 covers. And they're covers of a bunch of songs that everyone knows. You know, we scatter in the originals in the set list. So there are little breaks in the set. And it's a blast now. Like, it's just like probably my favorite thing we do at Barstool because when you're on stage and you have this crowd and this crowd would never like, it would never be this big just to see like us strictly based on our music and our talent, but we have the Barstool reach. So people are there to see like the Barstool guys play music or whatever. It feels like it's Guitar Hero in real life. It's pretty cool. You know, I I just want to say I loved your band's music video for your song my real girlfriend i thought that was well that's a beatles tribute of course yeah we did the ed sullivan thing where we had dave introduce us we have literally their shots from their ed sullivan performance in that music video the shots of the crowd are from the beatles that was a that that was definitely something that came from my brain that i pitched i was like can we do the ed sullivan thing because nirvana did that too they did like i think it was for the in bloom music video they all dress up and they put the guitars real high up and you know they do the and i was like that that would be so funny if we did that and we did the pup punk logos the beatles that's like now basically the main logo we use is our just our logo the beatles font (laughs) do you guys have any plans to record an actual album of your songs I would love to. We don't have one like in the works or anything, but that's like number one on my dream list is like 2022, get in the studio for a week and crank out, you know, a full album, maybe re-record some of the songs we've put out because the recordings are like, I mean, we literally did it as like a joke at first. So we recorded the first song in someone's apartment and they didn't even have like Pro Tools or anything. I think it's mixed on GarageBand. And the second song we filmed in there, we recorded in like, this back attic studio that we found it's like on eighth Ave. We found it on like Craigslist and it's like built into a family's kitchen. This guy just like built a little studio. <laughs> so there's like programmed drums on that. And like, we would love to re-record some of the stuff for sure. Yeah. It sounds like a pretty <laughs> memorable experience. It was very memorable. We were like cutting those absurd lyrics with very vulgar phrases while like a family was like eating dinner. <laughs> <laughs> Do you write the lyrics? Uh, I throw in lines. It's mostly Roan and PFT, the guitar player. So it's mostly them. And then like, I feel like every, every verse I'll throw in a, a line or two. Have you ever tried to write your own song? I haven't. I would love to, but it, it's, uh, I'm a bass player, so it's hard to like start. So you write your own bass lines then? Yeah. Is Paul McCartney an influence while you write those? I was going to say I'd like to say he is, but like that would be an insult to Paul because I'm very not good at the bass. I feel like my influence is very still like the Nikki Six Mark Hoppus style of a lot of root notes. Uh, I play with my fingers, so that's that's more of a Paul thing than a uh, them thing, like I guess. But yeah, I, I, I would say it'd be an insult to Paul to say he influenced me. <laughs> I wish maybe one day if I continue playing, but it still is like we practice like three times a year, maybe. And we have these shows that just come up like we just played two back to back shows in Denver and Bloomington. And that was our first shows in two years because of the pandemic and stuff. But we got that on a week notice. They were like, hey, two shows next week. We were like, okay, well, we haven't practiced in two years, so let's go relearn all of our songs. So it's very like slapped together, literally. So if if i uh if i ever had more time to become a better bass player m- my style would be influenced by paul yeah
<laughs> so your band hasn't played live in two years, and then you guys just had a show? We hadn't, no. Almost two years, yeah. That sounds pretty similar to the plot line of uh, the Get Back documentary. Kinda, yeah. Like, getting back together, like we got to perform the first show in years. Yeah, exactly. And, and speaking of uh, Peter Jackson's Get Back documentary, I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on the documentary. I cannot wait. I'm so excited for this. Like I've watched, I, I watched the trailers on my TV. Like I, when the trailer drops, I'm like, oh no, 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 I can't watch this on my phone or the computer. It'd be an insult to this. So I'm, I'm going to boot up the YouTube app on my TV, watch it full screen, like volume cranked all the way up. I think the footage looks amazing. It looks like everything Beatles fans have ever wanted. And the fact that Peter Jackson was initially going to release it as a movie and then he's like no there's too much footage so now it's like a three-part docu movie and now it's like six hours long or whatever that just makes me more excited because I look at the George Harrison doc which for years I would look at it on Netflix and it said like four hours long and I just didn't watch it I was like four hours that's so daunting who has four hours and now I'm like oh no give me six hours I want the uncut version of that because I can't stop watching so like yeah I'm definitely anticipating this movie a lot have you heard the let it be album re-release i did what did you think of that i'm not i I listened to it and i was like i'm not musically keen enough or whatever like uh, i'm not educated enough to like listen to it and be like here's what they changed here's what they didn't here's what's different i like the remaster i listened to remasters and i'm like yeah it kind of sounds like the original to me so what'd you think of the bonus tracks loved it all all of that I love. I love when they put out like the BBC. You could find on YouTube. There's so many of like the BBC recordings where you could hear them. It sounds like you're sitting in on like a rehearsal session when you could hear them chattering and stuff. So that I love. Like I'm all down. I'm all for that. Is anyone else at Barstool as into the Beatles as both you and I are? We no, we do have a couple. We have a couple Beatles fans at Barstool. Chaps is probably the biggest. Um, Chaps named his child McCartney. And actually has like the yellow submarine like from the cartoon tattooed on his arm. So I would say me and Chaps are probably like one and two as far as Beatles fans at Barcelona. And you might put him at one because I feel like you get the ink and you name your child after one of the Beatles. That's 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 some deep fandom right there. Is he our age? No, he he's a bit older. He's uh, he, I think he's like late 30s, early 40s. So he grew up in a different era for sure. But like. Again, like they reach all eras. So you're big into movies. Yeah. You love movie reviews. I'd love to hear your favorite Beatles movie. It's hard days night for me. It, it's yeah, it's hard days night. And I like Foo Fighters are one of my favorite bands. And Paul just inducted them to the Hall of Fame and everything. They just announced their first movie. It's like a horror comedy. Like that, and it's called or it's being described as a hard days night of the living dead. And that like makes me so excited because Hard Day's Night is something that I could throw on whenever. That's another thing. Like if I'm feeling anxious or having a panic attack and I threw that movie on, like it's just such a good time that that could snap you out of it. It's on HBO Max now, which has been great because that like I've rewatched it a ton since it went on HBO Max because it's just so easy to throw on while I'm working, while I'm doing something else, while I'm cleaning, throw on Hard Day's Night, have it on in the background. Do you actively recruit people to listen to the Beatles and, and show and share their music with everyone? Oh, yeah. I'm incessant about trying to get everyone into the Beatles. I used to live with someone from Barstool before I moved in with my girlfriend, and I was constantly like, he's sitting on the couch? Let me throw on the anthology and see if it just, you know, if he starts looking over. Like, he was one of the people that 
uh, said, like, why don't you make me a playlist of the songs that I might like? And he's Trent from Barstool is now like getting into the Beatles and he's very into everything post rubber soul. He doesn't like the early stuff. He's like, that's a little too, I don't know, Chuck Berry for him. But everything post-Rubber Soul, kind of the softer, more acoustic stuff, he's way into. So I was like, yes, I've converted a Beatles fan. He got really into George's solo stuff, which I sent them, because All Things Must Pass is my favorite Beatles solo album. So I was like, oh my god, this is, you must listen to this. This is like literally uh, a holy album for many people. And he was like, oh yeah, this this is the shit. Oh, and what a way to start a solo career, right? <laughs> Oh my God. Went right to number one after years of having his songs rejected by John and Paul. The best way to start a solo career. And another album that feels uh, modern when you listen to it today. You listen to some of those songs and you're like, oh my God, this this is like so out there, but so perfect. And it has that familiar sound, has George's voice, has that guitar playing, that iconic guitar, the, those lines that he would write. So like, I can't get enough of that album. That's also always in my constant rotation. Last question I have for you today. Okay. It might be the hardest. <laughs> What's your favorite Beatles album and tell me why? It's one of the hardest ones. I'd probably go with the White Album because of the variety, how long it is. I think I would go White Album. That could change day to day, though. That's that's the hardest one to answer. Sgt. Pepper's is also really up there for me. Does it change with what's going on in your life and what? Oh yeah, well, you know Big your time. surroundings and stuff. Big time. Oh yeah, there's not a Beatles album that I don't love. I have every single Beatles vinyl sitting beside me. Okay, one actual last question for you. We touched on how the Beatles are having this explosion of popularity 50 years after their last album was released. Can you describe where society will be in 25, 50 years from now? and where the Beatles will be in relation to that. I honestly, firmly believe they're going to be exactly where they are right now, pop culturally, mainstream attention. If not, you know, bigger, getting more attention, because people like you and me, when we eventually have kids, when we have nieces, nephews, whatever, we're going to pass this stuff on, just like our parents did to us, and their parents might have done to them, depending on how old you are. Like, the Beatles are such a generational family thing it's such a fandom of families and stuff like that that i don't see their legacy dying at any time soon i i think uh you know we're going to be celebrating 100 year anniversaries of of beatles albums that's going to be like a big thing it's going to be by the 100 year anniversary remaster of let it be and and that's going to be like an actual thing in our lifetime and i think it's going to be a big thing i think it'll skyrocket right back up to number 1 on whatever platform we're you know listening to music on then it might just be some kind of like telekinetic thing <laughs> right and I'm sure that 100-year Beatles remaster might just kick Pop Punk's 50th anniversary remaster off the number one position in the charts. <laughs> I hope so, so I could get the uh, so I could get the future digital NFT screenshot of our albums next to each other. <laughs> <laughs> and sell it to Paul's great great grandson. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, Robbie, thanks so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Hope to have you back sometime. Of course. Thanks for having me. This was a blast. I, I love talking about the Beatles. Like I said at the beginning of this podcast, and like you said, people our age, it's, it's kind of hard to find people to talk about the Beatles with so in-depth. So this was a blast for me. And that brings us to a close on our second episode. Thanks again to Robbie Fox for coming on the show. Be sure to follow Robbie, check out his podcast, My Mom's Basement, and follow his band, Pop Punk. The links to everything will be in the description of this podcast. 
Thank you for listening. Don't forget to rate this episode and subscribe so you can get a notification whenever we upload a new episode. Follow us on Twitter at Beatles Earth and check out our website, BeatlesEarth.com.